Christ is risen. He is. Sadly, though, it's a reality today. Many in Australia will wake up without so much as even a thought about Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection that we remember and celebrate today. Instead, there are many who will simply just enjoy a good Easter long weekend, won't they? Makes me think of Jeremiah's words in Lamentations. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see, is there any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger? Look and see, behold, Jeremiah calls us to do. What is it you see when you think about Easter? Reflecting on the cross of Christ and the empty tomb, his resurrection. I was listening to the radio in the car some years ago. I remember, I think it was a talkback station, and one fella called up complaining about all the Christian churchy stuff around the place at the time. I'm not sure where he'd been. Maybe there might have been a particular issue going on at the time. It might have been around Easter, or I think he may have even had a bit of a run-in with one of the street preachers in Rundle Mall back then. And his attitude, which he was telling everyone via the radio, was, if you want to believe all this religious stuff, that's fine. You go ahead and believe it. Just don't get in my face with it. You do what you want to do. Let's leave me out of it. If you want to spend your long weekend at church doing that, worshipping God and celebrating some guy who lived 2,000 years ago, that's fine. But don't let that get in my way. Let me enjoy my time at the river or my Oakbank races or whatever it is. And to some extent, I can sort of understand what he was saying. I don't agree with him, obviously, uh, with all his views, but I can understand his desire to be left alone. But I also remember thinking, this guy doesn't realise the only reason he can enjoy a long weekend, four-day long, is because of Jesus. Yes, there are some pagan origins to the celebration around this time of year, um, the spring equinox and things like that in the Northern Hemisphere. But the reason we celebrate Easter here in Australia is because of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection. And I actually think that's just one example, just another example of the abounding grace and generous nature of God. That even those who don't know him, who don't honour him or give thanks to him, actually get to enjoy some of the benefits and blessings of the life, death and resurrection of his son. Even if it is only a long weekend. As I said, there may be some connection between Easter and some old pagan festivals which celebrated the coming of spring. Um, You can look them up if you want. But the Christian Easter that we celebrate, which is the root cause of the long weekend we're now in, is not connected to any pagan festival. It's actually connected to a Jewish one. And we heard a bit about that on Friday, didn't we? The Passover. You might know the story if you've read it, if you've been to Sunday school, or maybe you've just watched the animated film, The Prince of Egypt. Who saw that when it came out? Yeah, a few people, yeah. But every Passover, around this time of year, before Jesus died and rose again, God's people would gather together and they would retell the story of their own history. They'd tell it to their families. They'd make sure their children knew where they came from and who God was and that he's the one who delivered them out of Egypt because they were slaves they would tell the story they were once slaves in Egypt Moses been sent by God given the task to speak to Pharaoh God's own words let my people go 
that they may worship me. Pharaoh didn't listen, didn't heed those words, and so came the plagues. Nine plagues, there is ten, I know, but nine plagues that both the Egyptians and the Hebrews had to contend with. No, no one was null and void, no one was barleys from those plagues in Egypt that time. Frogs, gnats, blood red water, hail, you name it, it all happened. But still, despite those mighty acts of God, right before their eyes, stubborn and hard-hearted Pharaoh wouldn't give in. He wouldn't let God's people go. And so came the tenth plague, and with it the Passover. And you'll know the story, the plague this time was death. Death of the firstborn in every household. Hands up if you're the oldest in your family. It's a fair number, isn't it? And then all your... That's quite significant, isn't it? Throughout all Egypt, whether it was a firstborn lamb or a firstborn calf, a firstborn son or slave, young or old, it wasn't just babies, whether it was royal blood or Hebrew blood, the Lord was going to pass through the land of Egypt and strike down any and every firstborn unless he saw the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost and lentil as he passed over, unless the blood of the lamb was there, covering that house. If the Lord saw that, he would pass over that house and no plague would strike that home. The firstborn in that house would live. Now we, many of us, would know that story. We've heard it many a time. Have you ever stopped to think what the atmosphere in Egypt would have been that night? Can you imagine the fear and the worry in every Egyptian household that night as they went to bed? And then the utter anguish in every Egyptian household. As young and old, from men to babies, every firstborn did not wake up that morning. That night we read, there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a single Egyptian house where someone was not dead. The rising of the sun that day, the dawning of a new day, was not something to look forward to. It was the beginning of a long day of sorrow, deep anguish and grief. Every Egyptian household had at least one person to bury that day. And so finally, Pharaoh succumbed to the Lord, didn't he? And he let the people go. He wanted them out of his sight pretty soon after that. Take your cattle and your livestock with you until he realised he's just given up his slave labour. So he went chasing after them, didn't he, to the Red Sea. And have you ever stopped to think what the atmosphere would have been like in every Hebrew household that night? I wonder, together with the fear and worry and the ensuing anguish in the Egyptian homes, I'm pretty sure there would have been a few anxious hearts in some Hebrew homes that night as well. And probably some good doses of fear and worry. Yes, faithfully, they trusted the word of God through Moses and they did what he told them. 
made their sacrifice, got themselves ready, painted the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. But I'm sure there would have been some wobbles there that night in some of those Hebrew homes and Hebrew huts, laying awake, hoping, praying that the blood of the Lamb would in fact protect them from this last plague. And then can you picture it? Can you hear the relief and the joy the next morning? As they wake up, maybe they've been awoken by the cries of their Egyptian neighbours wailing in the night. But they see their own firstborn. He's alive! He's alive! How did you sleep last night? Go to bed with any fear or worry? Anxious for how you'd wake up, if you'd wake up? Smell of death in the air? Probably not for most of us. Maybe a little bit like the two Marys we heard about in that reading Callan read from Matthew. They knew what Jesus had said. I must suffer and die and be raised again. But how did they get up and go to the tomb that morning? They actually got up as unbelievers that morning. They were there to if they could get rid of the stone, move the stone, they were actually ready to embalm Jesus' body. Not to expect him risen from the dead. There would have been a bit of fear and worry there. And even we're told once, he'd, once they'd met with the angel and with Jesus, they still go away fear and trembling and go and tell his disciples. Or have you woken up this morning with life and joy coursing through your bodies and your heart? Because Jesus is alive. Because death has been defeated. You see, Jesus, he's the firstborn as well, isn't he? He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the son of God. And he was the perfect spotless lamb. Sacrificed that Passover. He's the one who died when the Lord in his divine forbearance had passed over former sins so that he might put his own dear son forward as that Passover lamb, as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. He died so that we might wake up and live. Not just wake up this resurrection morning, but actually wake up to the love and the grace and the mercy of God in his son so that we might wake up to the love of the Father shown to us in the giving up of his Son. And in the mystery of how prophecy works and how scripture and God's salvation history works, in one sense, God the Father that day as Jesus died on the cross, he took the place not of Moses, not of the Hebrews back in Egypt, but in one sense, God the Father took the place of Pharaoh as his son was delivered up to death that day. And the cry of anguish from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Could be heard not in Egypt, but outside the city gates of Jerusalem. As his blood painted the timbers blood red that day. On that day, the Lord would not pass over the sins of the world. On that day, Death would not simply pass by. That day God's own household would lose 
its firstborn son. As he breathed his last and committed his spirit into the father's hands. Is it nothing to you? All you who pass by? But Jesus is not only the firstborn of all creation, is he? The Son of God. He's also the firstborn from the dead. We heard in Colossians last term. He's alive. He's risen from the dead and he is Lord. And so we too, maybe like the Hebrews the morning after the Passover, trusting and hoping, perhaps even a little anxious, has the blood of this lamb really been enough? Has the blood of the lamb really covered this home, this house, this heart? Will God really pass over this sinner in mercy and in grace because of the blood of that lamb? Well, this morning we remember and we can stop worrying and wondering because this morning there's relief, there's more than relief, there's rejoicing as the cry goes out, He's alive! He's risen from the dead and He is Lord! His blood shed for us was enough, is enough. And yes, the Lord has seen the blood on the timbers. And he has savoured the sacrifice. His wrath and his judgment have passed over us as they were poured out upon his son. And on Good Friday, as Nat led us through communion, we remembered the body and the blood of Christ, didn't we? Shed for us broken and shed for us and today we remember and celebrate the resurrection of that same body the restoration his body quickened risen from the dead and alive so that we might wake up in more senses than one alive in newness of life and alive to god because his resurrection back then means life for us today forever for all who believe so it's not only this easter weekend and this resurrection sunday that we can wake up with joy and hope and rejoicing every day even during times of trial even during the last days of our life when we're about to breathe our last even when the physical aroma of death seems to be hanging around we can know that life in the son of god has conquered death we can actually be confident that we won't even see death when we die. Jesus promised to us. But we will pass from death to life and we will enjoy resurrection life in the presence of the Lord. In fact, I think this is something we often miss and I reckon this verse should be read out at every funeral. Have a listen to what Jesus says in John five, twenty-five. Truly, truly, I say to you, An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Don't marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice. All. And they will all come out, those who have done good, to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. 
You see, Jesus' resurrection that we remember and celebrate today doesn't just mean that we will be raised to life. As in, it doesn't just mean that it's only the believers in Jesus who are raised. Every person from every nation, tribe and tongue will be raised. And they will hear the voice of the Son of God. Some will be raised to the resurrection of life. Some to the resurrection of judgment. Which will it be for us, for you? When that day comes and we hear the voice of the Son of God, will we wake up that day like Pharaoh and his household and all Egypt in fear and anguish forever? Or like Moses and the Hebrews, in the obedience of faith, found that we find ourselves covered by the blood of the Lamb, forgiven, passed over, and alive in Christ. I don't ask that question lightly. Which will it be for you? Nor do I ask it as if it's a lottery and we'll only know on that, on that day. Oh, he ended up there and he ended up... We can know today. The difference between the two outcomes is whose blood, sweat and tears, quite literally, think about the Garden of Gethsemane as well as the cross, whose blood, sweat and tears are we trusting in for that day? Your own or Christ's? One leads to eternal judgment, the other to eternal life. Is it nothing to you or you who pass by? Is the cross of Christ nothing to you or is it everything to you? What do we see when we look at the cross? When you consider Good Friday, Jesus stripped bare, whipped and beaten, mocked, scorned, spat at, strung up on a cross and nailed to the timbers. What do you see this day, Easter morning? An empty tomb, a beautiful sunrise, a pile of Easter eggs maybe. Who got some Easter eggs this morning? Is that all you saw, just some nice yummy chocolate? Or do you see the love of God in his son, Jesus Christ? Do you see the love of the father in the death of his son? The good shepherd who has laid his life down for his sheep. That verse from Lamentations, is it nothing to you or you who pass by? Look and see. Is there any sorrow like my sorrow which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger? Maybe we see that, the sorrow and the fierce anger of God. It's there, the wrath of God poured out upon his son. But whilst it's there, the Lord and the scriptures, they don't actually make a lot of that. It's mentioned. But what's made much of in the scriptures is the love of God, the grace of God in his Son. Jeff Bingham wrote a hymn borrowing those words from Lamentations and the third verse says this, Is it nothing to you that I bear all the wrath of the God who is holy and pure on sin that defiles and sin that destroys, that its judgment is what I endure? So there's the cost, there's the wrath of God and the sorrow, it's there. But it goes on. Is it nothing to you that his love is in me? That this pain is the proof of my love? That I bear in my heart 
the hate of your mind to bring you to Father above? Do we see the love of the Father in the death of his Son? And do we see the love of the Son as he gives his life as a ransom for many, for us? The good shepherd laying his life down for his sheep who he knows and he will seek out and search for until they come home. If you don't know the verse from 1 John 3, you might know the chorus. Behold what manner of love the Father has for us. Behold, see what kind of love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God. This is love. This is, in this the love of God was made manifest, we heard from 1 John 4. It was shown to us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. Romans 5, suffering produces perseverance and character and hope and this hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. Because while we were still sinners, God demonstrates his love for us in this. Christ died for us. I remember when that verse, verse 5, came alive to me. I still see it in my NIV study Bible that I had at uni. Hope that doesn't disappoint because God's love has been poured out. I still remember the day. Not only in suffering or when the suffering's over, but hope that's produced by suffering and perseverance and character. A hope that is a sure thing and a guarantee. Is that what we have? Is that what we live in? that we can be absolutely certain no matter what happens. On that day when we hear the voice of the Son of God in judgment, it will mean a resurrection to life for us. Do you have that hope that doesn't disappoint? Because God has poured his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit? I hope and pray you do. I could go on and read more verses. God shows his love for us in this while we are still sinners. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Look at the Old Testament. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you and demolish you for your sin and unfaithfulness? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. Or Psalm 18, Zephaniah 3. The Lord, did you know the Lord delights in you? He sings his praises over you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Is it nothing to you or you who pass by? The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. Why? Because unlike the hired hand, the good shepherd knows his sheep. He cares for his sheep. They are his. He loves them. And the father loves the son because he lays his life down. And he has authority to lay it down and to take it up again. Jesus did not suffer and die so that we could enjoy a long weekend and have a few hot cross buns and Easter eggs. As good as those things are, enjoy them. But behind them and in them and through them, 
see the love of the Father for you in his Son. God doesn't demonstrate his love for us by making us comfortable or happy or healthy as much as we'd like. No, God shows his love for us by removing our sins as far as east is from the west. We've forgotten much in the world, even the Christian world, that that's actually the heart of the gospel. Not just making us happy and comfortable, but making us holy children of God. Anyone who ever asks me, show me how God loves me. How do you know God loves you when my life is dot, 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 when this has happened? Where do I point? Point to the cross. That's how I know God loves me and God loves you. As one writer said, Jesus is the incarnation of God's love. God's love in the flesh. And the resurrection of his son, his bodily resurrection, is the love of the father expressed in eternal delight in his son, but for us all to see in the flesh now forever as he reigns at the father's right hand. The forever incarnation of the love of God. Now if you've never known that love, if you've never had that sure hope of the resurrection, then I pray you might know it today, that you might receive it. Come and speak with me or someone else here this morning. We'd love to share more of it with you. But for those of us who have known it, for those of us who have enjoyed many an Easter celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what does that love do to us, for us? Has the affection of God for you and his son moved your affections? Has it stirred your affections? Because God's word tells us that it does and that it should and it will. We heard it from 1 John 4, Beloved, it's a single word which addresses you as you who are loved of God. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Or as Jesus says to his disciples, he just washed their feet loving them to the end. And he says, If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, if I have loved you like this, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you are to do just as I have done to you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. This is how the world will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. One of the great chapters of resurrection in the scriptures is 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile, it's useless. And he says our hope is short-lived. If only for this life we have hope, we're to be pitied of all people. That also means though, completing Paul's trilogy of faith and hope and love, that our love would be meaningless if Christ has not been raised. Without the resurrection, any act of love has got no eternal consequence. No value, bears no fruit, has no meaning. Consider it from God's perspective. If there is no resurrection, then the greatest demonstration and act of God's love in his Son at the cross 
is one great big whopping failure. But it's not. He's risen. He's alive. Christ has been raised from the dead, so our faith is not futile, our hope is not short-lived, and our love... Well, Paul ends that chapter saying, know this, keep on working steadfast in the Lord, because in him your labour is not in vain. Our love does have meaning. It does bear fruit. Faith, hope and love remain forever, and the greatest of these is love. And we're commanded to love. And so this resurrection day, perhaps more than any other time of the year, but I think every day really, we're reminded of God's love for us in his son, if God so loved us. And I really like the version that we had read, except for this one thing. When scripture say, whether it's John 3.16 or 1 John 4, when it says, when God so loved us, it's not that he loved us so much. It is a huge love. It's incomprehensible how wide, how deep, all of that. But it's actually in the manner that God has loved us, in this way. If God has loved us, behold what manner of love, this kind of love. What kind of love? Life-giving, sacrificial, unconditional love in his Son on the cross. That's how God so loved us. That's what that so encapsulates in those verses. Because of that, we also ought to love one another. Over the next few weeks, we're actually going to be doing a series called Love One Another. Each of the elders are going to preach, plus Phil Schneider. Pray for us in our preparations for that and in our hearing of that word. We're going to be hearing things like forgive one another, bear with one another, Submit to one another, encourage one another, confess to one another and just our need for one another. And we've talked about, as as we've talked about this series, how do we preach these things without it being heavy and guilt-driven? Do this, they are commands for us. But I hope this morning we've heard where the source of all of that comes from, that it's not guilt-driven at all, it's love-driven. Love from God. Because we don't have it in and of ourselves to do any of that. Unless I know I'm forgiven much, I won't forgive any at all. Unless I know that Christ has borne my sin, I won't want to bear with anybody. Unless I know the Lord's patience, his long-suffering for me, I won't be patient and endure you (laughs) or someone else that gets up my nose. Not that you get up my nose. And it's got to be far more than a motivational pep talk, doesn't it, for any of us to love and forgive and bear with one another. And yet we're commanded to it, we're called to it. But love is from God, you see. And so for us to love, we need to meet with God. We need to be born of God if we're ever to truly love. And because in Christ we're in him, And as we abide in him, we actually are capable of doing those things. Because God has poured his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. This is love, not that we have loved God, but he loves us. 
You've heard me say it before, and it's here in 1 John 4. When God loves us, his love is made complete. It's perfected in us, not just when we receive that love, but actually when that love flows out from us and we love one another. Putting it another way, if we are only ever consumers of God's love, God's love hasn't finished its work in us. If we only ever receive his love but never extend that love to others, God's love at best has only done half its work. But you see, God's word and his love, it never fails, does it? His word always succeeds, always achieves what he sent it to do. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things and never ends. You might not always or ever feel that you've got it in you to love like that. And if that's the case, good, because we don't. But at the same time, we do, but not of ourselves. You see, this is Resurrection Sunday, isn't it? And Paul tells us, we're almost there, Paul tells us that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in us. So have you got it in yourself to love? No. But you've got the resurrection power of the Lord at work in you and towards you so that we would know the love of God and we would love with the love of God. We've been filled to all the fullness of Christ, we heard in Colossians. So let's not go on making excuses about our lack of love or forgiveness or patience. Instead, we've got the love of God at work in us. His love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we can be awake to the love of God and love one another with the freedom and the joy that only the beloved children of God can know. We can be awake today, not with the stench of death hanging around our homes or our nostrils, but with the aroma and joy of life in Christ and the love of God the Father flowing through every atom of our being. Let's pray. And as I pray, our musicians will come up and we're going to sing... Man of Sorrows. Father God, God, what manner of love you have loved us with. Father, would you open the eyes of our hearts and our minds to see your love in your Son for us? Would this day and the cross of Christ be far more than nothing to us? Would it be everything to us as we see your love poured out for us, even as your wrath is poured out to him? And as we rejoice and remember and celebrate his resurrection this day, Father, we rejoice not only in that day, but in the newness of life each and every one of us who have faith in him can enjoy with a certain hope of glory to come. And so, Father, would you keep us in this love? There will be days when we worry and we wobble. We'll be anxious and wonder if the blood of Christ really is enough. And if will you help us just get through another day? So, Father, remind us and assure us by your Spirit that we are your children. And we are that because of your love, because of the manner of your love that we see in your Son, 
in his life, in his death, and this day, in his resurrection, and every day. Help us to walk by faith in the newness of life we have in him. In his name we pray. Amen.